0: Listening to Strange Familiars True Stories of the Paranormal, Cryptids, Hauntings, The Occult, Mythology, UFOs, Folklore, Weird and Forgotten History. Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course, StrangeFamiliars.com.
1: Welcome to Strange Familiars. Tonight I'm going to be talking with Tobe Johnson. He runs Strange Brown. You can find that at strangebrow.com. S T R A N G E B R A U.com. I'll put the link for that and some other links in the show notes, so check them out there. Tonight's kind of uh, a meeting of the Stranges strange Brow and Strange Familiars. I've talked with Tob a little bit uh, previous to this, and I knew we were kind of on the same page, but I have to say, the stories he tells are incredible, and they're at this intersection of UFOs and poltergeist and Bigfoot and Fae activity. It's the crossroads where I currently live, I think. And he has a very open minded approach and a very, I think, similar approach to mine. I think he's got some great stories. He's got some great activity going on. He's living currently at an area with repeated activity. We'll let him tell the stories. Make sure to check out the links. Make sure to check out what Tobe is doing with Strange Brow. And if you can attend his events with Ron Moorhead coming up, I would definitely recommend doing so. They look to be like something really special. I don't know. I figured we'd just go. I didn't write questions or anything down. I figured we can just kind of freeform it. Oh yeah, and see where things lead us.
2: You know, yeah. I feel like this is a conversation a long time coming. It's generally pretty difficult to talk to someone about Sasquatch uh, in general that don't immediately connect it to the paranormal. And you know, I always did. Uh, it just seemed like, an, and first of all, it was in that category you know, if you're looking for a book, that's where you would find it amongst uh, everything else that was, you know, an unsolved mystery, uh, along with tarot cards and mediums. And so it was just intrinsically put inside my brain that this was a paranormal supernatural phenomena. But it's generally pretty difficult to have that conversation with people in this field, because they take themselves so serious. And they look at themselves as, you know, this data filled you know, douchebags. <laughs> and it's very difficult for me to have that conversation with most of these guys because they just go into themselves first and their, their reputations and all of their, their footprints and their hairs. And I get it. It's fun. It's like collecting baseball cards, but it's a relief to talk to you because I think that, uh, you know, you understand that this is a layered subject and it has all this little of tissue of the paranormal that's kind of attached to the whole.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's hard to talk about. I, I'm not out to specifically, you know, offend someone, you know, from that camp, but it is mm-hmm. almost like they're very, very desperate to be accepted by, you know, mainstream science, and they're, they're so afraid right. to talk about something that doesn't sound scientific that you know the mere mention of weird lights being associated with the phenomenon or tracks that that walk Mm -hmm. into the middle of the field and disappear, they go nuts. It's like they they won't have it. They just shut down, and it's it's a no. In fact, I was contacted by someone somewhat local recently who said, I really need to talk to you. I'm a member of the BFRO, but I go out, and every time I go out bigfooting, I see these weird lights, or or my daughter does. I forget exactly uh, what the case was. Mm -hmm. And he said they won't even let me talk about it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. One of the funny things about that organization is that it's full of people that have these files that they call the flats. You have to be a privileged member, a team leader uh, of sorts to get permission to be on what they call the BFRO flats, which is a holding house of all these weird reports. There's a couple of people I know that were part of that expedition Scene and would take people out 15 20 people at a time and then they would go on to the BFRO flats and look at these other reports the ones like you're talking about so a lot of people end up leaving these bigger organizations but you know they charge quite a bit of money to to do this when you're paying that kind of money you expect to kind of you know be able to say exactly what you saw and uh, maybe have some feedback about it because you know, along with seeing the paranormal is a total worldview change and shift. And unless you really prepare people for that, the same way you do for it being bitter, cold outside or the same way you do about poison oak or rattlesnakes, there there needs to be a conversation with especially these newbies that come face to face with these paradigm shifts. And there's absolutely not, right. they just, they pretended as though it didn't happen. So, I mean, we can get into that.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's disingenuous at best. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've said it, mm-hmm. I don't know how many times on the podcast, if you're going to tell me it's okay to look for an ape man, an eight foot tall ape man in the woods, but I, I gotta to <laughs> shut up. If right. I see, you know, weird lights out there while I'm looking for him. Like, <laughs> Right. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What world are we living in? You I know. know. You, it, it, I know. We, I know. And, and I can't say they're 100 no. related. I can't tell you they're definitely related, but we. I think you have to say like, look, I was out there looking for one weird thing that people say doesn't exist, and I saw mm. another weird thing that people say doesn't right. exist. Can we not at least talk about that? You know, <laughs> that can we not mm, at least right. mention right. these things? And, and, well, yeah,
2: nobody's seen a bigfoot make a stick structure or leave a glyph or make a wood knock. Even there's no record, you know, video recordings of them doing any of that stuff. But that that's huh. the data. These apers, and um, it's you know utter nonsense when they discount the lights. I mean, let's just start there. That's really one of the first things that gave me a, a nice little massage on the back and said, Okay, young man, this is how we'll start out. We'll start out soft and low <laughs> with seeing these lights in Bigfoot areas. And you, you know, you hear these stories like you're hearing these stories. I don't know, have you had a chance, Tim, to see these lights?
1: I've seen lights now. I don't know, like the the orb lights, the the will whips, kind of drifting lights. I saw separate. Yeah. I saw those on uh, on the farm I grew up on, and I told this story to uh, to West from Sasquatch Chronicles. I, I I was a little kid, and my mother was so matter of fact about it that I I thought they were like something very very natural because I remember we were we were kind of looking through. There was a little grove uh, in the back area. And there was these lights down there. And my mother was very casual and said, oh, those are will o' the Wisps. And we had willow trees on the farm. And I thought they had something to do with the willow trees. Like she was so matter of fact about it. I thought, you know, like the, these are some kind of firefly or something that, that was attracted to the willow trees or something. So, I, you know, I have seen those. Okay. Did, did not in any way associate it with anything particularly weird even for years. You know, much years later, I realized like, oh, no, these are, you know, something that, that's mm. unusual but at at the time i didn't kind of didn't register that i wasn't seeing anything you know that was the least <laughs> bit odd but the uh yeah
2: it's a, it, I mean, when you use the word natural it, it there it is very natural but also extremely unnatural but they do have like this really organic quality to them they they seem to be alive, and people are uncomfortable hearing that but uh, who cares i mean they they have an organic living quality to them that seems like, hey, you know, we've been here a long time. We've been doing this a long time. And then you add this intelligence quality into them, which I don't know if I've necessarily experienced that part. I know that uh, others talk about this other cognitive ability of them to follow you and whatnot. But I haven't seen that myself. But for your mother just to be so natural about them, that that's kind of the way, you know, it probably should be. But we're told these things absolutely don't happen and if they do they need to be under these parameters of swamp gas and um, ball lightning but when you see these things on a full moon you know on top of a hillside and they just refuse to defy explanation there's no swamp there's no ball lightning these are the conditions i've seen them in and they're all bigfoot areas so this connective tissue of the life surrounding bigfoot you know, I've noticed that the lights come in before Bigfoot activity, the traditional activity comes in, i.e. the rock throwing or the sounds and whatnot. It's almost like a precursor, you know, the, the thunder roll before the lightning strike.
1: Now, now, what I have seen are the, and bless him, the, the, this one guy I go with, he's very interested in Bigfoot, <laughs> super, super good guy, super nice guy. And he told me the whole time, I think it's shine, And I was not, we were staying in this one area and I was like, Jeff, I don't think it's eye shine. I think they're just weird lights. Uh, you know, I just, I couldn't imagine that it was shine. And it uh, behaved very strange. They changed colors. Like I, so, I, I mean, I really think what we're talking about is eye glow, which is another just bizarre thing. Like this is absolutely bizarre because I don't think there was enough ambient light to reflect this brightly. They look like led lights in the woods. And in fact, that's what I thought they were. I was like, what, what's yeah. out there? What is man-made that's out there? I went back during the day. There's nothing man-made out there. there was, it was nothing. But they would change colors. And uh, again, at this point, we I, I got lectured about this. Again, I talked about it on Sasquatch Chronicles. I got a, a nasty gram. Someone yelled at me for shining lasers in the poor Bigfoot's eyes. I didn't know. I didn't think at this point. <laughs> <Bigfoot>. <laughs> right. Like, it was just a weird light in the woods to me. I wouldn't do it now. Yeah. With, whether it's eye glow or not, I wouldn't do it because I... It, I feel like we're poking at the phenomenon. I don't think it's probably a good idea to poke at it. But at the time, just as a matter of experiment, my friend had this laser. I said, Hey, point the laser at it, see what happens. And every time he'd hit it with the laser, they would turn red. They, they, you know, they were naturally sort of uh, whitish blue and he'd hit them with that and they would turn mm-hmm. red and go out and it was just bizarre it, it was you know and he started hitting them and they're changing colors and and you know every time he hit them, every time he hit them with mm. the laser they turn red and go out i don't know of a man-made light that reacts like that i you know i it just you'd have to show me one i don't
2: think there is one yeah wow now did the eye did the eyes wince or blink or turn away from the harsh laser coming <laughs> it at looked, it or what did it, it look
1: like it it looked like it would turn red and aperture out, you know, like a camera almost, like mm-hmm. a, it would kind of aperture down to nothing. And again, at this point, I'm still not thinking eyeshine. shine. I'm still thinking, wow, those are weird lights. Those are some mm-hmm. really weird lights out there. Mm-hmm. I called Jeff, told him I was seeing them because he he had told me about them several times, and, and, I, and I wasn't looking in the right place. Is what what it was. I finally found what he was talking about. And he runs up with binoculars. And sure enough, when you look at them through binoculars, my other thing that I thought they weren't eye shine was I was only seeing one light, never two together, it seemed like. But when you looked at them through binoculars, you could see they were two, two eyes. They were two separate lights. So that's the other thing I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Now, these lights also change shape. They, we saw them change into bars and... Uh, looks like, I didn't see this, but uh, the, the one guy that was with me said they they turned into what looked like a circle of LEDs, and then they would go back to the, to the two or the one light. Very, very strange behavior. Didn't think in any way this could be eye glow or eye shine or anything until I heard someone from Texas on Sasquatch Chronicles describe exactly what I saw. Exactly those lights, the changing colors. He didn't mention the laser, but I don't mm-hmm. think he had a laser. The only difference was he saw it within the silhouette of a creature. He saw him. Right. So that's when I finally went. Wow, I think you know. I think my buddy Jeff's right. I, I think you know. And and I finally. Uh, I mean, there was right. other stuff going on there with from uh you know weird vocals we recorded to knocks and and uh, what sounded like monkey chatter and and some other stuff and and we had some, right. some weird sightings or possible sightings there as well. So putting it all together with that, I sort of kind of finally said, well, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe their eyeshine and I'll, I'll still leave that 10%. Maybe it's not, But you know, at this point I'm kind of like 90%. Right. It's, it's eyeshine or eyeshine.
2: <laughs> I know. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's fun when you have someone along with you so you don't feel, you know, so nuts, but it's a constant with most Bigfooters. They just refuse to talk about it in public. That's why Back in February, I, I decided to put something together again before we did something up the river called uh, Bigfoot and Beer. and it was up a little tiny pizza restaurant up the McKenzie Valley in the Cascade Mountains. And for a couple years, and we get locals together and have pizza and beer, and have guest speakers in, and it turned into the whole town hall phenomena. So after the pizza restaurant closed down, it was about five or six years later. and. I uh, decided to do something to, to coax these kind of witnesses back out from the fold again, including the people that hold back on the stories like you're telling about I shine. a lot of you know good researchers and whatnot. And the best way I found to do that is to get a drink in their hand. And so we started something called Strange Brow, which is unabashedly a paranormal, supernatural conference that we do every last Sunday of the month. From 2 to 6 p.m. at a little place called the Axon Fiddle in Cottage Grove, Oregon. You got the t-shirt and you kind of know a little bit about it. But the idea was to put a format together, you know, a, a live broadcast sure. to get these witnesses to talk about the stranger things, not just with Bigfoot, but like we had, you know, Christopher Garitano come on and talk about the Montauk Chronicles and a gal named Lindsay Brisbane who had a crazy paranormal Encounter that mimicked a lot of the scenery out of the the movie The Ring, and uh, so you know if you can have those larger conversations, it makes the bigfooter maybe a little more at home to talk about the stranger aspects of what's happening. I mean, the lights and the eye shine being the smallest of those things here. Right? Um, you know, they really are just kind of like the baby steps into how crazy the this bottomless rabbit hole goes. I mean. You know, even John Green, uh, you know, would say that uh, there's way more questions than there are answers with this phenomena. And like Wes Germer says, I mean, this is a this is an issue that uh, surrounds the globe and refuse to give, you know, give up uh, what what really is the nature of all this here. And the idea that the forest is reclaiming the body is just, it's so just, it, I mean, it's just a dumb argument because <laughs> here we have classical sightings every day around the globe, and these are—I mean—these creatures must number in the thousands. I mean, at least they number in the thousands, and they're coming right in the neighborhood. So the idea that the forest is reclaiming only this species' body and and leaving all the other bodies available is just ridiculous. We have much more rare. I mean the. The Tasmanian tiger we is supposedly uh, you know, extinct, and we have better footage now of Tasmanian tigers roaming around in Tasmania than we do a Bigfoot. So right. yeah, it's t- a matter of time before we find that baby again.
1: You know, I always yeah. say, how, how many game cams do we have placed in the United States now? They're, they're everywhere. Thousands and thousands of game cams. <laughs> And they are finding rare mm-hmm. creatures. There was a bird uh, they thought was extinct that they found in Louisiana. And the reason they found it mm-hmm. is because it turned up on somebody's game cam. You know, th- this thing was incredibly right. rare. And then they were able to, you know, track it down. Right. You know, it's... <laughs> you're right, the the forest reclaiming the body. It's, you know, everybody ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no match in the fossil record. There's, you know, some people, mm-hmm. oh, right. gig- it's But really, <laughs> I mean, you know... First of all, we only have a jawbone, mm-hmm. right? For Gigantopithecus, it's we don't have, we don't know if it was bipedal for sure. There's, there's so much we don't know that to claim like, oh yes, it's just a, you know, an ancestor of Gigantopithecus. It just seems, it's like such a stretch. But we,
2: the dialogue from that is it's shifted. Uh, you know, they don't use that word "gigano" hardly as much as they did uh, six years ago. So now that everything's a relic. Mm-hmm. And um, it's closer to us, you know, than it is Gigano. So, Relic Hominid, and that's the new coin term that Jeff Meldrum put out there. And all of the little one of these are using that term now. And, right. um, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more beautiful. And, you know, over the last 45 days, I've had a chance to experience some of that beauty and a surprising, <laughs> surprising turn of events is to actually. Move into an area that has so much Bigfoot activity that um, you can't actually work on the statue of Bigfoot in the garage, which has has been my predicament here. Is here I am looking at this seven and a half foot tall replica of a Sasquatch that I made for Ron Moorhead's uh, party we're having for him in September, and I'm having a hard time getting to it because right outside the door is this very elaborate game that wants to be played by these family groups of Sasquatch. Now, All right, so, I've never seen a Sasquatch. I haven't seen one here yet, but it is so predominant. It's really the only thing you can focus on when you're at this property is what the next game is going to
1: be. Right, I, I have to hear about this. I don't know whether to, we should start on that and go backwards or start with your earlier accounts and go up to that. Okay. I'm completely fascinated by this. So let's talk about this. What's, what's this game? What's going on?
2: Okay. Well, there's a lot of areas we could go into first, but let's just let's just go to Easter Friday. I guess it would have been Good Friday before Easter. It was a full moon, and, we came up, and it was the guy I lived with names Daryl Adams, and his wife's name Cindy Adams. And Daryl's really into the subject matter, and that's how we met. We were down the way from the London tracks, which we cast back in 2012 out here in cottage grove and he bought a house right off of london road and so i said great your backyard has got great sightings let's go out and beat the streets and see what we can find so he says well i drew an elk tag the last day it's good friday let's go uh, see if we can do two things at once and i said great so i I got in the passenger seat and he grabbed his rifle and we headed up the hills and we're looking for elk signs for a good part of three or four hours and also looking for stick structures and you name it. It's a beautiful day. And um, so I, I find out the passenger window, uh, a set of what looked like deep uh, appendage impressions. You know, they almost look like someone took a basketball and bounced them in the clay mud and there were these, you know, nice rounded out divots next to these elk tracks. So I told Daryl to back up the truck and immediately turned on my camera and started filming because they were just curious to look at it turns out when you leaned in on these impressions, there was two of them. There was a left and a right. And they were relatively close to the gravel bank and separated about eighteen inches apart. And I'm looking at them right now in the garage as I'm talking to you. They had hair sticking out, little black hairs, very human looking. And they're coming out of what looked like bone structure. And they look like kneecaps that had plunged inside the red clay. And I just looked at Daryl and I said, what if? (laughs) I said, even if these are elk or bear or cow, whatever. I said, you know, we got a cat. And so we spent the better part of five or six hours making sure we meticulously Recorded everything, extruded the hair aseptically, sent the, you know, the hair up to Canada to a gal named Cindy Dosen, who runs the Hominid Enigma program. So we have these plaster knees uh, that show anatomy. Uh, they show patella, bone structure, skin folds, and they still have hairs sticking out of the kneecaps. The right one in particular is very impressive. You can see a lot with uh, a blacklight. Hairs came back, said, Cindy, before you tell me what the hairs are, this will be my Heraldo moment. You know, either the bank vault's gonna be empty or not. I'll put you on the big screen for Strange Brown. You can tell the whole audience. And you know, I'll bring the kneecaps in and we can just say, Oh, shuck. You know, that's what I was expecting. And it didn't come that way. And there we are with these kneecaps and Ron Moorhead's audience and this anxious crowd that really doesn't know what I'm up to. And I said, you know. Sent these hairs off. Probably going to come back as an elk or a cow, but they didn't. She had a real detailed reason why, and she said it's an unknown hominid. You know, they belong in a a category amongst themselves. They're human-like hairs, but not and they're not an ungulate. And but the real telling thing was is that she said that um, she said the only matching hair I had was from a juvenile Sasquatch report from Ocean Shores, Washington. They matched that hair due to the lack of a I believe she said the lack of a medulla and then she says but it also shows that it's part of a lower extremity and that was really telling to me because that's what we were guessing you know this came out as a lower half in particular a knee so we have all these hairs right and she uh, you know she's on our team as far as saying oh okay, it looks like you guys have a plaster cast of Bigfoot knees well Then we had to see how big this creature possibly could. And we came back with um, a Boeing uh, engineer out of Washington State, Scott Taylor, and he took my knee impressions, which I did next to this, you know, these unknown knees in the exact same area on the exact same kind of day. And we cast my knees to see if we could do a surface area measurement of how roughly how large and weight this creature would have been to do this in the substrate. And we did a running jump and then we did a resting jump to kind of take a medium measure of everything. Anyway, it came back at around 12 to 1400 pounds, (laughs) which, you know, those numbers are gigantic. Um, so it's not an ungulate. It's not a known creature. It's, you know, it comes back as a very large, uh, human. So we brought these knees home and they're sitting in this garage And um, having this conversation with the property owner about keeping an eye on those needs now that we're public about it and posting stuff and talking about it, there could be anxious people maybe wanting to take a look at those needs. Not that it's that great evidence, but I've heard weirder stories about, you know, people tapping on your phone or, you know, checking out what's really going on with the evidence as it were. And having Cindy Dosen on our side was a plus because her mail gets taken all the time and hair samples come up her way, um, they just won't arrive. So they just end up in this mysterious area in customs. So uh, I said, you know, maybe put a game cam in the in the garage. Well, that night he didn't put a game cam in his garage, but I get a phone call from the property on the doors of the garage have been there's a brand new beautiful eighteen, twenty foot the tall two-door garage that he had built here anyway the the garage door is opened up on her own and uh, so he comes out in the morning and to surprise there's some footprints now they're shoe prints though and they're walking over to the kneecaps and sitting on the kneecap is sitting this little tiny toothbrush so that toothbrush is kind of indicative to me that someone was trying to mess with my head because I always put that little excavation device away in its proper drawer when I'm scraping away the mud to look at anatomy on this kneecap. So it was sitting right on the right kneecap and here's some muddy sneaker prints walking up to it. And then they moved a couple other things around and then they undid the deadbolt and just walked out the door. Wow. And just all of these sneaker prints. So we're like, okay, well that's, certainly odd it's it, it matches maybe some predictability about behavior whatever could happen if you get too close to the you know <laughs> the hive then our phone started acting up and that lasted for about 48 hours anytime we talked our phone would do a very strange high-pitched buzz and then it would shut it down so we just kind of ignored the story for a period of about three or four weeks. Well, one day, the garage doors went flying back up again. In the morning, Daryl walks out here and sees the garage door open. And sitting between these plaster hands I'm making for the Sasquatch structure is a little blue dinosaur. (laughs) And it's a little tiny dollar store, a velociraptor, baby blue. And it's just sitting there on top of the desk where I'm molding these hands out. And I just, I couldn't believe it, you know, because it's just like, well, who would walk in here and put a little blue dinosaur? You know, no footprints this time, no real clue uh, on uh, how long they'd actually been there. I assume only a couple of days. But So then I moved into this property and I moved in full time to build this statue. And I also work 45 hours a week. So I was rushing back and forth and When I moved into this property, things just really started to amp up as far as I will call it gifting. And immediately when I put my camper up and threw down the awning, little things would start to appear on the awning. Now they weren't just, you know, sticks and stones. Um, One of the first things that appeared was just a pebble, you know, a little tiny rock. And it was just sitting there. It certainly didn't belong on the canopy, but
0: we kind of played
2: it off because, you know, maybe a leaf blower did it. Maybe it fell out of a tree. I don't know. It's a pretty high canopy, but, um, you know, you have a tendency to want to play this stuff off. And then we took my son fishing one day, Daryl and I took the boat out and, uh, we, right before we left, we look on top of the canopy there was this piece of wood sitting on top of the canopy at first. This is the same day. It was a little chunk of wood, and it looked like a piece of Palo Santos incense, which is like a, you know, type oh of incense. It's very fragrant, and you can burn it, use it for protection. A lot of people use it in ghost hunting and whatnot. And it's, you know, just a very fragrant piece of, uh, almost feels like basswood or balsa wood. So there's a there's this chunk of little tiny, maybe two inch long piece of wood sitting up there. So we knock that down and take a look at it. And we go out fishing and we're talking about that piece of wood and what's going on. And I kinda you know, putting things together in my own head and my son who's been immersed in this definitely knows where my mind's heading. And so I'm trying to break it to the property owner, maybe what's going on, and that there's a game that's starting here. <laughs> and um we get back home and uh, sitting on, now we've been only been gone about two hours, beautiful sunny day. And here's where things start to really amp up as far as what I think they want to uh, get across to us at first, that they can read our mind. And they, they, I've heard time and time again, you know, from long-term witnesses that they want you to know that you can't trick them. So they let you know how outplayed you are by telling you, hey, we can read your mind. So the way they did that was, as they put it, carnelian stone just a beautiful, fiery orange agate, about um, the size of a half dollar, on top of the canopy. And we're pulling the boat in. We see the thing sitting on the canopy, and um, as soon as we see that it's a carnelian stone, I'm like, Daryl, that's the one stone that you told me was worth money. I mean, you you mentioned that in the garage, right? And he goes, Yeah. I said, that's really interesting. Don't you think that out of all the rocks sitting on top of this canopy, you know, six and a half feet up off the ground, they put that one? And he goes, yeah, that's, that is interesting. So let's fast forward to examples of this, of them reading your mind. There was the moment where we were, um, I don't want to skip around too much because I'll now screw it up, but, oh, well, the gal, uh, Daryl's wife had open heart surgery, that was about a year and a half ago. So she walks out to her hummingbird feeders, and there's a little glass heart sitting underneath the hummingbird feeder. Now she grabs this glass heart and she holds it in her. Head. it has dropped it. Um, but you know, it's perfectly placed underneath the tree, right underneath the hummingbird feeder, so she sets it back down, and the thing ends up on a branch like a couple hours later. so you know, eye level with her, like, "Hey, you had the heart surgery." <laughs> That's how I wow. took it. Um, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: I'm a really intricate hand glyph that looks like, you know, five fingers and a palm out of little sticks. And it's kind of my thing that I leave out for Bigfoot. I found a very detailed example of that sitting by the same tree where this heart was. Um, only thing was, is it was set down within a matter of like 30 minutes of me turning my back on it. So this daytime gifting program of them reading your mind is just like, over the top, like poltergeist over the top. Right. And, yeah. And, I mean, you you have to layer in poltergeist and yep. ghost stuff with this. If you're going to bring in the, the UFOs and everything else, I mean, this veil, this open door policy of the paranormal coming in and out just I, based upon uh, where this house sits, who knows what this house is sitting on, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree a thousand percent. In fact, it was you know Josh Cutchin. I was on another podcast. And I was talking about this sort of uh, gifting exchange, It it had more to do with the uh, rock stacking and stuff I was doing that was playing out. I don't want to go over it too much because I've, I've talked about it several times in the podcast. But it, basically, it was I, I found some white quartz that looked like someone had was just bashing it on a boulder. It was like splintered everywhere. Uh, while I was hiking, I first, so I made a little care and I came back a few days later, someone had changed it and this started a, a thing where I would go and I change it. And every time I come back, it'd be changed. And this went on for months and months and months. Right. Eventually I was walking up to it. It was in uh, January of 2017. I heard what I thought was uh, like a rock clack behind me. Some crows went off right over top of me and like really sounding off and like a whole murder of crows just went right over my head sounding off very low and they were pretty used to me these these crows i knew where they they kind of would roost in these trees and they didn't like i didn't scare them i was there often enough where you know they they would sound off they would let uh the other crows know i was there but they wouldn't like come out of the trees and you know really be frightened or anything went up to these this area where the uh i I was doing this these this cairn thing and uh, before i could even change the rock stack it had been changed when i got there uh, was overcome with this, this <laughs> powerful fear just, just incredible fear The got the skunky dead animal smell, and you know knowing the bigfoot accounts as I do, I thought like well, here comes a sighting that 's going to happen, yeah, and uh, was in no way prepared for it. <laughs> I was terrified to be honest <laughs> it did, it didn 't happen <laughs> i i i uh, I heard this sound, it sounded like metal gears clicking three three like click click click, like small metal gears, not like giant metal gears, but i and everything, like the fear went away, Ooh, the snow went away, everything all at once. And uh, on the way out, yeah. I, fa- I found what looked like maybe footprints in the snow. There was a very like light uh, covering of snow on the ground. And, I, you know, nothing that I'm not going to convince, you know, another Bigfoot person, much less a skeptic with these. But I didn't notice them on the way in. They crossed. Well, they had that
2: clicking sound. of anything You mentioned that that mm-hmm. mechanical clicking sound that doesn't seem like it would be a natural sound from, you know, a giant mammal. Those are the kind of sounds I'm most interested in because I think those, you know, link travel, somehow movement mm. and uh, appearing and disappearing.
1: Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the M D platform and are only
0: available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer.
2: We just hear, we just downloaded another group of parabolic sounds from the backfield here. This sounds like, um, a giant stone crypt sliding. And mm-hmm. if you can just imagine like Bela Lugosi awakening from his tomb and the sound of granite sliding on hollow granite, it's really fascinating when that sound is accompanied by, uh, jet thrusters <laughs> right. and not just airplane flying overhead, but like, there is like this serious eight long eight minute long jet thruster sound on top of these stone crypts, even radio frequency sounds of voices coming through, like you would expect out of an EVP session where they scan through the you know the AM broadband. Right. Yeah. Um, we get those sounds now coming out of this hollow earth, and uh, it's right in the backyard somewhere. I mean, it's it's up in the hillside, which does not belong, but maybe. It
1: does belong. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, when you talk about the, the, the gifting happening in a matter of minutes, the the way I first knew that, mm-hmm. like, I was under the assumption that another person was visiting the park as often as I was and was completely, like, right. still interested in doing it. I'm still, like, I'm still interested in playing this game. And, you know, of course, I've read that, that people right. have done this with Bigfoot before. But I, at this point, I'm still, like, it's probably a person, but I, I'm very interested in playing this game. My wife was calling it my chessboard. We, w- we went there with my family one day, my wife and kids, and they were hiking in a different area. I said, Hey, I'm going to run up and check my chessboard. Went up, checked it, rearranged things and, uh, walked back down and met her in this, you know, we were going to meet at this other place, this other trail. I, I met her at that trail. She says, Oh, I want to go up and see it. It's about a 15 minute hike, maybe. So at round round trip hike. So, you know, I've been gone maybe 20 minutes from this area when I came back and there's a right. leaf, there's a leaf underneath one of the rocks I put now. That was the only change that was made, but I didn't, put a, I didn't put a leaf underneath the rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I reckon as soon as I went up, I said, I didn't put Yeah. That's here. significant. And, and leaves don't fall under rocks. You know, <laughs> it just, it just doesn't happen. And that's when I knew I was I, <laughs> I, I just like, you know, yeah. either something, you know, something weird's going on. Either this had to be a person that was like hiding behind the tree as I did this, or, you know, something weird is going on here. And since then I, I have have you read uh, Mike Clown's book called it's called The Messengers? Oh, yeah. H- have you read that book? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, the, the owls and stuff. In that book, there's a mm-hmm. there's a chapter about a woman who can basically she says she can basically summon owls. Like if she says, like, I want to see an owl today, she'll go out on a hike, she'll see an owl. And very interesting. I thought and this was going to the same place, I thought, well, I don't want to necessarily see an owl. I'm going to say like I want to sure. I collect uh I have since I was a kid skulls that I find in the woods and antlers and stuff. So I I would like to find antlers today. I think that would be neat. So I put that out there. I'm walking up to this area and I see something white in the in the tree like blowing in the wind. I thought it was a plastic bag. I, I clean up uh, as I go, you know, I I feel it's my obligation. Uh sure. So I, I, you know, I'm very angry at, at whatever human has left this plastic bag that is, you know, in this tree or blown in this tree. It's the entire tail feather section of an, of a barn owl, just bright white, like the entire tail section Wow! in the tree. And I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, went on to have this whole <laughs> series of, of owl synchronicities, which, yeah. which kind of ended in me starting to find skulls whenever I go on Bigfoot Investigations. Almost 100% of the time. It's bizarre. So now, like, so I asked for the antlers. I didn't get the antlers. I went on another area. I picked up a a perfectly clean raccoon skull. It was in the middle of the trail. Like, isn't this cool? Put it in my pack. Came back three weeks later. Had a maybe sighting. Followed something for about uh, half, three quarters of a mile. And there was a deer skull impaled at eye level in the middle of the path that wasn't there three weeks before. It's just like, like it was waiting for me. And, uh, you know, I had somebody say, Oh, did you take it as a warning? I did not. I, I, for some reason I got the feeling like it was like, Oh, you like that raccoon skull. Well here, here's a deer skull, you know? And uh, again, it was perfect, <laughs> right, right. perfectly yeah. clean, perfectly, you know, I it, hardly ever find skulls when I'm out. You're lucky. Oh, I get or it.
2: Maybe not lucky. It sounds like you've got a, a better gifting program.
1: <laughs> it's well, it's, and it's bizarre. So I got, I got called, I, well, I met a witness out in Michaud Forest, and all day long, I kept finding deer skull. He was driving me around. He, he was driving to the areas where his encounters were, and every place we stopped, he had a pickup, thankfully, I, I, and I was like, do you care if I put these skulls in your truck? He's like, no. Every single place we stopped, I found the skull, and then uh, I got a call recently. A guy said, you know, I saw Bigfoot on my property. He was right here in York County. With him. I said, I'll be there tomorrow, went there. He saw him across his property. I went across the property. I was, you know, doing the thing. I hold my walking stick up. Tell me how high it was. You know all that. Tell me where he was standing. Tell me where to stop. He tells me where to stop. Right, right. I look down right where he said the creature yeah. was standing. There's a there's a deer skull sitting right there. It is unbelievable. And when, when you say it's like reading your mind or it's like playing with you somehow, I mean to find mm-hmm. it on it, even if it was. of the, the, the the investigations I went out on. Okay. But I'm talking like 60, 70, 80% of these investigations. I'm finding deer skulls prominently placed. I'm not digging around under leaves or anything. Yeah. It's just nutty.
2: I mean, I'm skulls when I'm out. So it sounds like there's something if you're finding them that, that often, it sounds like those are the kind of gifts that you want. So they're, they're bringing them.
1: Yeah, it's bizarre, and like I said, I've collected them since I was a kid. It's just always something, you know. I drew them and stuff, and so. Uh, but my my collection in the past year, maybe two years, has at least tripled. I, it, I've gotten gotten so many that I've I'm starting to put them outside right. now because <laughs> there's no room for them. It's completely wacky. <laughs> Are you sure? Last name's not Dahmer and not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, and, and I'm not interested in gore. Like that's the other thing. I if there's any gore on them. I won't. I won't pick them up. I don't like rotten meat. I don't like that gory, bloody right. stuff. They have to be perfectly clean and sunbleached for me to even touch them. And that's what these are. They're they're just you know. So they're they're not right. you know new kills or anything. Yeah. So, but anyway, no, that's, I know that. Uh, Uh, One of the first
2: kills I saw was on a property where I saw the lights explode in the woods. That's kind of a long story, but it was the area where my tent was stuck up in a tree. It was was moved like 40 feet away from where I put the the tent in the beginning. The the tent was stuck up uh, about eight feet up in a tree. Um, We saw these amazing lights explode in the tree line. But I was following up on these stick structures down on the property where the single trackway disappeared in the snow, and walking up there during the day light hours, beautiful summer day, and I'd walked in on an old skid road and fairly open, so I sat there and hung some wind chimes and put some popcorn down, and I turned my back, and there was this mole that had been separated. Um, it was oozing blood. It was so fresh and had been pinched in half. Wow. Not, an, not a critter on it, no bugs, nothing. And uh, there it was at my feet. We've seen that at the property here now. There was a, a rabbit that was killed. It was killed for a rabbit. It was laid in front of the trailer at a rock sticking out of its skull. Um, it was incredibly fresh. And then a couple days later, about three days later, we had a snake after we know this after they left the rabbit said thank god they're not leaving snakes (laughs) so when i walked back to the exact same spot three days later laying exactly where this rabbit was laid out was this red gardener snake with its head popped off (laughs) and it was a bug i hadn't even touched it yet and I, i hate snakes i mean it's just like the one thing that you, you know, if you want me to leave here, put another snake, you know, down, because um, <laughs> I just I can't do it. You know, no matter what the gift is, please just don't leave me a snake. I actually ended up trying to conquer that fear and putting that snake in like little Altoids tin because the meat bees are really they're almost like maggots. I mean, they clean off every ounce of flesh off that snake, so there's nothing left but a spinal column. So I. Uh, I took the gift and I put in a little Altoids tin and duct taped it really, really tight. So I have all these crazy gifts. In fact, let me see if I can grab my little grab bag. I'll go through the visual aid here for your, your audience so they can get an idea of what they're leaving here. And these are all certified weird gifts. So what I mean by that is they're either put up like an ATI up of a log. They're puzzles that I've left out for them or they're put on top of my tent trailer canopy or in front of my door. So we have a seven foot long honed walking stick. Looked like it was stolen off of somebody's patio and stuck in front of my trailer. Green plastic disc that looked like they belonged to a construction crew. Um, A a little blue action figure with its head kind of chewed on. Looks like a lawnmower hit this guy. A piece of... Red pipe, um, a little metal flange. that was set on top of my rear view mirror balancing itself. While I was swimming down the road, I came back, and sitting on top of my rearview mirror was a balancing pine cone. I have a, uh, a piece of gravel that I found sitting on top of my bedspread inside my trail, so that would be the second object that has appeared inside. Uh, The the dinosaur that I mentioned earlier would have been the first. A little bronze necklace, I'm sorry, a little bronze bracelet that was thrown on top of my canopy. And it just goes on and on. A fishing bobber sitting out. uh, After we went fishing, we found a little bobber sitting in front of my door. It was acknowledging what we were doing. We have handprints all over this place. Examples of uh, how tall they are because they're squeezing the rain gutters up around 12 feet and pinching them, pulling away from the shed. A greasy prints on the back of truck beds, the size of um, well, we did a we did a measurement compared to these fingers here, and it's laughable. And then greasy handprints, white greasy handprints, the size of a child inside one of the bedrooms, as though. If you imagine maybe like a five-year-old child trying to push his way out of a door uh, with chalk on his hands, so all these to keep track of and put in order, and and maybe someday do something with, but right now we're just kind of racing this paranormal
1: race. That's amazing. So the handprints were were inside; they were inside the room. In other words, they weren't like on the window.
2: Yeah, the greasy white ones. Well, the chalky. Yeah, the chalky white ones are inside. They're still there. They're sitting inside the bedroom. It's a bedroom where we just found out a family left this house rather quickly. (laughs) The asking price was under, I think it was 50 grand under what it would have been sold for. So when the property owners bought this, they got a real good deal on it. And they moved up here from California area, Oregon, and bought this house. And so... Before that, the house was demolished. There was an old farmhouse sitting here back in the 1940s. But the family that lived here before, the young man that used to live in this restroom where these chalky white handprints were found was raised in the house. Him and his sister and his mother and father all lived here together. So um, unfortunately, that boy just committed suicide like, I don't know, a month ago. And it was about that month ago that we found those handprints. In fact, we even got an EVP, it sounds like, out of that uh, that bed. Before we knew any of this, we put the parabolics in this bedroom and uh, shot out the side window to see if we could catch audio. But then we get this EVP of someone, it sounds like, saying, I'm dead. Yeah. And then these handprints appear kind of on the day that his funeral was. So that gets into like, okay, you know, this open door policy of the paranormal. We have moon boots that uh, (laughs) I know how that sounds, man, but we have legitimate, like, I've seen these before. Other Bigfooters have seen this as well, but imagine like a size, size nine or eight, Neil Armstrong type moon boot walking towards your trailer, just single track. We've caught it a couple different times. You know, they're right in the dusty part of the gravel. So that I've seen before, up in the lakes, a real smaller size of version of that, and it only sank down maybe like six inches in the snow coming remote uh, snowbank. It made no sense for, you know a small child to be a solo below like that. So there's a, another long-term witness down the road. They see these prints coming up from the riverbank and towards the back of their car and then just disappear as though this young, small person, I shouldn't say young, but small entity, walks up to the back of the car, and uh, it bashes. So, uh, you know, it all gets into Skinwalker Ranch and what happened out there. And very similar, really.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, that's one I always tell people <laughs> to read up on. I mean, there's tons of information on it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best examples. We had a chance to go all the way. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go no. ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's one of the best examples of, of a. I was just of gonna a say that paranormal phenomenon.
2: Yeah, we had a chance. I, I hopped in my Jeep the other month when they did the McMinnville UFO Festival, and George uh, Knapp and uh, Jeremy Corbell were the speakers. And, you know, Jeremy's putting out this documentary this year about Skinwalker Ranch and they're going to do a two and a half hour long presentation on the subject matter. So I grabbed a Bigfoot hair and headed up to the UFO festival to try to harangle George Knapp and give him one of these hairs. And I uh, wrote up a little dossier and you know, just like, you know, this would be the ultimate person to give a Bigfoot hair to. And so I'm waiting, you know, a period of 24 hours of my presentation. I'm going to sleep in my car. So I'm walking around this festival, and all of a sudden, this um, gal out of nowhere says, Hey, you. I mean, there's thousands of people at this UFO festival. I think it's one of the biggest in the country. So this gal sitting at the outdoor um, restaurant there with her friend yells, Hey, you. You got a story to tell. And I, <laughs> I was like, what? And she flagged me over. So I came over there and introduced myself. And I said, What do you mean I got a story to tell? She goes, well, I've seen you walking around here. What are you talking about? And I said, well, if you want to know the truth, I've got, I think some Sasquatch hair in my backpack, and I'm trying to get in touch with George Knapp and Mm -hmm. give him this report. And she goes, I'm Sarah LaMose, I'm a psychic medium, and I'd love to hear your story. And so I sat down with her. I handed her this envelope with the hair in it, and she goes, well, let me tell you, before I hold the envelope, I'll take a reading off of it, and I just want you to know I'm a skeptic and when it comes to bigfoot stuff i think it's only you know machismo men that are out with this monster fantasy of theirs So <laughs> I'll, I'll take a reading so she grabbed this envelope which had like two hairs in it and one was like hung up in the plaster so it was a really cool piece but for all she knew it could have had nothing in it so she grabs this hair and her eyes roll back on her head and she turns to her friend and she says, oh my effing god they're real and she went on to have this profound experience. She was utterly floored by the experience of holding on to this, this envelope and went on in great detail about the mystery that was attached to them. One thing that she was really confused by was their hierarchy as far as like how they place inside the realm of the Fae. And I said, well, you mean that they belong to like the wood spirits or the elementals or the... And she goes, no. It's much different than that. You know, these are holy beings. These are very holy animals. (laughs) And I said, well, and she goes, I'm, you know, I'm Buddhist. And these things, she goes, I'm uncomfortable saying this, but they they rival the Dalai Lama as far as like their holiness. And that's a really odd thing for me to have to say, but they're very profound creatures. And she said, oh, by the way, that it belongs to a, a female. And she was very afraid when she left those impressions in the dirt. So she, she was kind of like naming off where the location was to me, the fact that it was found in dirt. She would do that periodically, just, you know, throw me these little golden nuggets that she was legit. But when she said it was a female and she was scared, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing because I've had other people attach these me's to a female Sasquatch with their ability to to see things like that. But I'm not, I'm the kind of guy, maybe you're that kind of guy, I have to have it right in my face, To really, you know, be hit over the head with evidence.
1: <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been hit with so much weirdness that I guess it depends on your definition of evidence. You know what I mean? I had a fellow recently, for instance, Right play me recordings of him asking questions to the woods. And he said he couldn't hear it. He had like a, like a recorder, like he would take to record EVPs and he'd play it back. And it sure sounds like it's answering. And it sounds like it's answering the questions he's asking it. You know, so is that evidence? You know, I, mean, I don't. I think. I think most scientists would say it's. You know, it's a bunch of noise that you're making sound like what you want to be an answer. But it, in the face of all this other weirdness we're talking about, I'm now like sort of. I don't want to say yeah. it at face value, but I'm. I'm sort of accepting it. You know, for what it seems to be, I'll put it that. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I'm not I'm just more dense. (laughs) It really wasn't that snake and that rabbit. I mean, even the rabbit, I was still like with the rock out of his head. I know it sounds ridiculous. Here I was asking and here it was looking at me. But when you know that something's reading your mind, it's a very daunting, shifting thing. I didn't handle that moment too well. You know, I think I paid a price for it because they left me that darn old nasty snake. But that really, the snake for me was just, and that wasn't too long ago. That was less than a week ago. Wow. That really was what happened as far as Bigfoot is concerned, but maybe not as much as the paranormal is concerned. There was a moment here where we caught this on video. Here I am, a, a truck driver up north in Seattle, and I get a phone call from the property owner, Daryl, he goes, hey, I'm looking at this white agate sitting on top of the seven-foot-tall upright log. And I said, take a picture. And so he sent me this photograph of this little bulbous bait agate. And it's maybe, you know, the size of about an inch and a half. And it's just, you know, just sitting there for you to see. And uh, he goes, I got a haircut. I'll, uh, I'll take a closer up picture when I get back. So he goes and gets a haircut and I call my son and we're having this conversation and I haven't mentioned the rock yet to him because we're kind of still wondering what it looks like. And, you know, he goes, you know, I wonder if Bigfoot, will ever bring me anything? And I said, I don't know. He goes, maybe they brought me, uh, I was sitting on my dashboard of my car and I said, well, that would be really weird if they brought you 40 miles away and put it on the dashboard of your mom's car. <laughs> I said, that would be awesome. I've heard of that before. And you know, if I get blue dinosaurs <laughs> stuck inside the garage here, maybe, baby. So then I hang up and I'm traveling back and I get this phone call from the property owner that the rock is gone. And he goes, I mean, he could tell it really bothered him. Like, you know, how did that rock come off that loft, that flat surface of that, you know, 90 degree plane. That shouldn't have happened. It's not sitting anywhere on the deck. And ding, ding, ding. Who did I just talk to? I talked to my my son, Jude. I said, I got to go. So I was just ready to play this game full on. I called Jude. I'm like, Jude, grab your camera, put it on FaceTime. Don't ask me any questions. You're going to be okay. If this is what I think it is, it's going to be really cool. And I really didn't think anything was happening. It kind of just like when Cindy dosed something me about this hair in front of the audience. I really thought it was going to come back as an octuos. And so I have this video of my son walking endlessly through the living room of this house he just moved in. And I said, Jude, what you're looking for is a orange rock. Now, I told him, I kind of fibbed to him because I wanted it to be a true test study of what you know, if this was really gonna unfold. I wanted him to not hug me. I said, I want you to look for an orange rock on camera. And so here he is looking around on the floor of the living room and he walks into the bathroom. And at the threshold of the bathroom is this little white rock. Whoa. And it's sitting right dead center on the threshold. And it's the same rock. I mean, you can see it in the picture.
1: Oh my So that,
2: that rock had ported, I guess, is the technical term from 45 miles away in a matter of like a half hour or so on its own into a locked house with my son. Now that rock, it disappears periodically. It's locked inside a a little metal tin can. And we have this game where we go shake the can. And sometimes the can, (laughs) and you'll shake the can and sometimes the rock's back. Um, So we have examples of these accorded objects. Now that was the most profound rock. one for him. I mean, aside from seeing a Bigfoot, what's that?
1: I said it's Schrodinger's rock, you know, it's it's there sometimes it's there. Not, uh, not there others.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that was a really cool moment with me and him. Cause to actually kind of unfold it, you know, live, uh, action style was uh, really cool. We haven't had any, I don't think we've had any more of that, but, People that have had conversations with us have suddenly started things show up at their place, like buttons sitting on top of my girlfriend's bird feeder or pillows that suddenly disappear and are stuck weird corners upstairs where they shouldn't be. Um, people, now this one, I don't know what to make of it. Someone's claiming that the little blue dinosaur actually belongs to their daughter, only they live in Colorado. And that that dinosaur has been missing for a matter of months (laughs) and uh, they're so long-term witnesses. So what if, you know, what if this is like a a greeting program of people that are experiencing the paranormal by giving them little objects, kind of gets into, you know, Close Encounters and Richard Dreyfus when he meets that other woman, they have these shared experiences and they must meet at a certain time. They're, uh, you know, even us talking, you know, it's, it gets into that, like, you know, who are these people? And I think Sasquatch enjoys a whole different experience of time. Um, They seem to enjoy it on a circular level, much like the Native Americans do and Tibetans, where they're not linear. They're experiencing everything all at once and they can so outstep our clumsy version of time by, you know,
1: predicting things. Yeah. uh, I'm blown away by the stone story. That's it's, uh, you, you know what I'm reminded of? And these stories are popping up more lately. Like I wonder how long this has been happening that people have, have not talked about it, but now people are starting to talk about it. I'm sure you've heard these stories where people will do wood knocks for instance, and, uh, they'll drive 50 miles home and then get a reply in the same pattern, you know, when they get out of their car. I'm sure you've heard stories like that, but that's what that reminds me of. That sort of, you know, the phenomenon traveling with you. And it happens again across the board. Mm-hmm. You hear people, you know, ghost hunters always talk about like bringing stuff home with them. Now you, now Bigfoot people are starting to talk about, you know, people living <laughs> in neighborhoods are, yeah. getting, are getting wall slaps. You know, they living in yeah suburban neighborhoods and they're talking about getting wall slaps after <laughs> Bigfoot hunting. You know what I mean? This is, uh, yeah if you want to believe this is a natural ape in the woods, I can understand why they don't want to talk about any of this stuff. Cause you know, gorillas don't do that.
2: <laughs> no, no. And if they're sending things across time and space, uh, you know, through a, an apportation process, if if they're responsible for that moment, we're still so, outplayed yeah. by their capabilities. In fact, they're, they're taking it easy on us. You know, we'll talk a little bit about Ron Moorhead here. Um, he was really one of the first guys, anyway, to pull me aside, along with Tom Powell and another guy named Dave Rogers. That says, you know, uh, this phenomena it goes way deeper, and uh, this depends on how deep you want to go. But this obsessive nature of the subject matter can pull you in into its world, and you know, don't ever leave the human world for them because that's the ultimate trick that they're trying to play is pull you away from, from the human world and into uh, their world where you don't belong and we, I feel as though we absolutely don't belong with them we belong aside them on their terms, but to actually live with them, isn't it yeah, I don't believe it's an option, I mean those that are lucky enough to have moments, fleeting moments with them, like and, uh, oh gosh, Sarah Winnemucca these stories about people taken away but to actually live with them I don't think that's an option I think we are forced to live amongst them and beside them you know it changes everything if you believe that it changes your religion it changes your spiritual faith it changes science just this one little question about who and what they are really shifts everything
1: oh yeah Well, since you brought up Ron, let's explore that avenue. When did you meet Ron Moorhead?
2: I met Ron in 2010, and he showed up at a gathering that we had here in Eugene, Oregon. And he brought Scott Nelson along with him. And uh, they talked about the Sierra Sounds and the convincing behind the samurai chatter was explained by not only Ron, but Scott Nelson's cryptozoological or cryptolinguist understanding of you know, how language works and how to prove that Ron sounds belong to the language of something non-human but human like. I don't have you ever had Scott on as a guest or have you had a chance to talk to him?
1: I have and I would love to. I, just just as a matter of introduction, just in case people don't know, Ron Moorhead was a part of a group of people who were recording uh, what seems to be Sasquatch sounds and it ended up being speech in the 1970s in a, mm-hmm. in a place in the remote Sierra Nevada mountains. Yeah. These he's made several, I mean, they made several tapes, several hours of tapes. I think they had like 40 hours of tapes or something, which has been distilled down to what they call the Sierra sounds. You can get it from, you know, Ron's uh, website. I think it's Ron You can hear samples all over the place. He's, he's, very good about giving podcast samples when he's a guest and, and going through the different sounds. And I have to say, um, I w- wanted to use some of the sounds on a, a music CD I'd done with my band. And I I wrote Ron, and he gave me the coolest response I think possible. I said, "Could would you care if I just use you know I just want to use like like twenty seconds just just twenty seconds of, of of these sounds?" And Ron said his his reply was, "I didn't make those sounds." bigfoot made those sounds go ahead you <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was the coolest, <laughs> totally uh, the coolest affirmative response yeah. like anyone could possibly give and, you know i was i was right. uh, completely right. blown away and i already had respect for the man but after that i was like all right this guy you know i have respect and he's a cool dude on top of that and, <laughs> And acknowledging at the same time that, you know, he didn't make those sounds, you know what I mean?
2: (laughs) He's so giving with his time and with his research and he never tells you you're wrong about anything. His go-to line is, well, you may be right, you know, no matter (laughs) how crazy he may personally think the the theory is. And it's an excellent line. You know, if you don't ever want to get an argument with, you know, someone that, about the paranormal just say well you may be right i mean <laughs> it really just uh lets it lie out there and you you don't have to argue about anything after yeah, that one you just get clarity over agreement I, i've yeah, used it if so they he's really it cool he's, i mean he's a, he's an authentic adventurer that dude
1: he's lived a life that most of us could only hope to live he's like what what a uh what a adventurous life he's had interesting
2: yeah and they're paranormal stories i mean it's he'll tell you flat out that a lot of what happened up there is at the quantum level. That's why he wrote quantum, you know, Bigfoot is to try to put a, make the scientists happy, you know, by uh, talking about the paranormal through scientific terms and using the words, uh, the quantum level. But, you know, he had strange sounds, follow him home. Um, He definitely saw the lights up there on more than one occasion. You know, there's a family group of people Surrounding their tent and their shelter for wasn't a tent; it was more like uh, logs pressed up against a giant old growth. If you haven't heard the Sierra sounds, it sounds unbelievable. I mean, it sounds like samurai men up in the woods. Uh, you know, not just men; samurai women too, yelling at each other. Uh, very Japanese, very Euro-Asian sounding. There's a mixture of Squatchenes, we'll call it, or samurai chatter and human dialect. And the conversation between these elk hunters and these Bigfoot has never been reproduced on that level. Uh, so that's why we invited Ron to come down here in September and take part of something we're calling the Sierra Sasquatch Experience. And it's uh, a couple different options for folks to hang out with Ron uh, September 29th or 30th. The the 29th is going to be a reserve thing for People have a limited, intimate, I guess, camping experience with Ron. And we're going to do a recreation of the camp up in the mountains here with a life-size Bigfoot, which almost done making. And then they can stand with Ron amongst the old growth and get their photographs professionally taken. And then he'll autograph it the next day. But uh, we're going to come back to this property where we're having... Active stuff happen, and have a little barbecue into the evening time, and enjoy each other's company. And then on the thirtieth, him and Scott Nelson are going to put on a show at the Axe and Fiddle in Cottage Grove. And that one, I think it's only fifteen bucks uh, advance tickets to come to that show. It was, should be an all day event. We'll have the statue there and vendors, and I think we can fit like a hundred and twenty five people in this two story building. And if you hadn't had a chance to hear Scott and Ron talk together about this phenomena and the sounds, it's definitely worth checking out. So that's my sales plug with with Ron and I really want it to be something, you know, big and large and active for his sake, uh, because, you know, it's harder and harder each year for Ron to get up in the Sierras. And I think he just got back actually not too long ago from doing a couple of weeks up there, wow. but, um, anyway, I, uh, I made a big foot in honor, of Ron, his name's Biggie. If you listen to the Sierra sounds, you'll hear Ron refer to Biggie or talk to him in his lectures about Biggie. And so I, I went seven and a half feet up and about three feet wide with this guy. And then the last, Oh man, I'm probably getting closer to like, 55 or 60 of intense building and not quite done yet, but he will be quite the piece. And uh, we'll take him out in the woods and get and give people their dream shot with a, a real, real life big foot researcher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how is Ron now? He's getting up there, right? I don't know
2: how old Ron is, he hides it well.
1: Yeah, um, oh, I mean, I mean he's, he's,
2: he's him and him. Yeah, I mean he's definitely not running laps right now. Him and Bob Gimlin, you know, are up there in age, but man, they just uh you'd never know it when you sit down and talk to him.
1: Yeah, but but what I'm saying is this like this is true like old guard big yeah. folk and and it's it's a rare opportunity to get to have like what would be one-on-one time with Ron. Uh it's it's an incredible opportunity. I wish I could be there. I have something to do that weekend, but I was seriously considering coming out for it. Because it sounds like an incredible event. Oh,
2: that would have been the ultimate. Yeah. I think we got like eight tickets left. It's 200 bucks to do this. And that's because it's a two-day event. You know, the photographs have to be developed. The camera men have to be hired. Uh, Building a Bigfoot isn't free. The venue is free for me. But in order to get the staff to run the place and cater it and uh, rent a restroom out and pay the people that I'm living with. For their time and effort and pay Ron it came out to about 200 bucks for two days so 100 bucks a day so uh, that that one it was limited to 15 because i knew it was going to be tougher to get people to sign up for that and plus it's you want a smaller group if you have a limited time to be with somebody like Ron, a big crowd fighting for the next bigfoot story so but the next one the next day you can come in general admission it's 20 bucks at the door 15 advance so not
1: too bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to hear Ron, and and uh, I didn't let you get into it too much because I had to stop and, and explain, you know, Ron's story a little bit in case anybody wasn't familiar with him. But Scott, right, is the other fellow. I'm sorry. I drew a blank. Uh, Scott Nelson. Scott Nelson. Sorry. Yes. He is a cryptolinguist. Yeah. He, he worked with the Navy. and. Of course, he can explain it much better than I can. But what it boils down to is he recognized this as language, the the recordings that Ron made. And his job in the Navy was not necessarily to decipher languages, but to determine, you know, if a real language was being spoken through various, they have various ways of doing it. It was his his profession. He, He knows what he's doing. And the first time he heard these sounds, he recognized it as language, which is pretty incredible. And he's only, you know, dug in deeper since then.
2: In fact, he used um, this term. You can hear this phrase, this utterance uh, from Biggie. We'll call him. We don't know which Bigfoot made made this phrase happen, but there's this known phrase, and the phrase goes, "Food hyefuya." Food hyefuya. So there's an English word, food, and there's this other mystery word, hyefuya. Scott used this term, food hyefuya, out in the woods to elicit. A- <laughs> Uh, so that tells you the legitimacy of uh, of, wh- of what's going on on Ron's tapes. He was okay. uh, going to witness until he used.
1: You, you cut so, out a little bit. You cut out a little bit there. He he used the phrase in the woods. Oh, sorry, I, I'm, it's okay. He used yeah. The phrase so the
2: he used this phrase, uh, "food hive wire," and uh, Scott's really good at mimicking language as part of his discipline. He can speak, I think, fluent Russian, and he does really good at uh, repeating the the Sierra sounds. Anyway, so he elicited his first sighting by using this this term out in the woods. One approached him, and uh, I don't know if it was a daylight sighting or nighttime sighting, but as a, a previous, you know, uh, I wouldn't call him a skeptic, but just a non-witness, he brought one in on him by using the Sierra sounds. I don't know anybody else who was a d- People do call blasting with rhyme sounds. I don't know what kind of results they get, but there's something about the spoken word, very powerful, the spoken word. I mean, it talks about that throughout religions too. Um, but I think they're into the real thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, the mimicry stuff, they're just all clued in on your motives, man. I mean, if your yeah. motives are unpure and you're out to trick them with call blasting, they're just going to put you in the douchey corner and treat you <laughs> like that. And I just don't think uh, it's the way to go. It'll slow your roll. If you want the real thing, give them the real thing. Be the real thing. Don't go out like a total nerd, uh, you know, in camo and all your tech gear. I mean, it may look good on a selfie stick, and you may feel like you're fulfilling. I mean, I did it at first, of course. Uh, you have all the cool gadgets and whatnot. And, but, the, you know, the amount of times I've tried to put a flare up here on this property And nothing happens. Well, we only did that about four times before we gave up because, you know, they just knew, I mean, after the fourth time of nothing happening and you, and as a tiny little Fleer, I mean, it's a super tiny little guy. um, There should be no way for them to see that at all, but they, they're tuned into your motives. And uh, that's proven with the snake and the rabbit and the carnelian stone and the, the glass heart. I mean, the list goes on and on here for us that they're tuned into your motives.
1: Yeah. And uh, I, I get asked a number of times, like the, the, those lights I was talking about, well, why didn't you film them? Why didn't you take pictures? Well, we took a couple of still pictures and they're completely unremarkable, you know, to, to be there and see them and to see them reacting. And then to see a couple of, uh, you know, what appears to be pin lights in the blackness on photograph is, is nothing but, uh, even if we could photograph them, I think at the point it, they they are very reactive and they, and they do not like, and the phenomenon across the board doesn't like photograph that being photographed. This was proven at Skinwalker, again, if we want to check back on that, yeah, the camera cords that were being cut there, you know, it, this, the phenomenon in general, and don't ask me why it doesn't like being photographed. So I, I think one of the, Surest ways to stop it is to, to start putting up cameras and stuff, you know, uh, it, it doesn't <laughs> like it.
2: Yeah. They don't mind audio. I mean, we right, got the exactly. full permission slip to listen to them. Listening is, uh, I mean, I've heard them come up and tap on the recorder. You can hear them breathing. We think we even caught one farting. They don't mind at all being <laughs> recorded. Exactly. We've got one laughing actually. It's one of our best recordings is when well. wow. walking up and and laughing like Scooby Doo. Um, wow. It's a really cool recording. But yeah, the the permission slip to film them, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe they feel like it's, you know, uh taking part of your soul. <laughs> or Something I there's a there is this real permission slip that has not been granted with videotaping our photographs. And, um, it's just a waste of time. I mean, yep. if you're in this to prove it to your buddies, you're going to be beating your head against the walls for years. It, and I, I get the, I, I, I mean, I have this urge constantly to, to fight against ego, uh, and try to prove this to anybody else other than myself. But, you know, I think that it's okay to keep like a little family album of, cool things that have happened like the knee prints and all the little crazy stuff in the Ziploc bag here that they've left. But when you have, you know, a snake and a rabbit left at your front feet and there's no reason (laughs) for those things to die on their own, it just changes the way you think about this phenomena. So they've asked me to change the way I think about it. That puts me in a whole different camp of researcher. It's not the popular club, It is not, (laughs) Um, you know, no, you don't, you don't get invited to any of the little functions and whatnot that uh, you used to get invited to. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that now because it's the more honest way to go. And it's way more fun. I mean, the kind of stuff that's happening now is way more fun. It's, it's really just kind of like, you know, when the waves are pulling you out, they say, relax and don't fight the waves so much. Otherwise you'll drown. That, that relaxing against the current has really helped out uh, quite a bit. So I'm at peace. You know, I can leave this property now in September and go back to my other house about an hour away and I can, I can relax about it. I, I have answers. They're not all the answers I wanted. I didn't, I didn't get a see one. I still have some time here yet, though, to see if they come right up to the workshop here and maybe shake the hands of this replica in the garage, but um, I doubt any of that will happen here. I think I'm happy with the way things have gone and can leave with a a peaceful heart. I should probably mention here, too, before, because I know you probably have to go, and so do I, that uh, if people are interested in getting a hold of uh, Ron's event with Strange Brow, that's... Uh, The company I run, I guess if you can call it a company, it's more of a hobby. Strange Brow is just like it sounds, but it's B-R-A-U, kind of the German iteration. They can go to strangebrow.com or they can go to strangebrowsasquatchbrownpapertick.com and get the tickets directly for the event here in, in Cottage Grove for the 30th. But if they want to get the tickets for the Sierra Sasquatch thing, they'll have to go to my website at strangebrow.com and go to look for the Ron Moorhead uh, icon at the top there. And there's a way to get a ticket yourself.
1: Send me all those links. I'll put them up in the show notes too. So people can just click on them. Okay. All right. And I got cut off. Cool, man. That's that's (laughs) fine. Well, thanks so much. Fantastic stories. I I love this stuff. And uh, please keep us, updated on anything else that happens.
2: Sounds good. Thank you.
1: If you'd like to help us continue making Strange Familiars, think about becoming a patron at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash strange familiars. You can check out all the different levels of support there, but At just $3 a month, you can get full extra shows. This month, I think we're doing two extra shows. Most months, we do at least one. So it's a great place to support Strange Familiars and get more Strange Familiars at the same time. That's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Thanks for listening, everybody. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Darkhollerarts.com If you're on Facebook, check out our group, the Strange Familiars Gathering. Just look up Strange Familiars Gathering. You can join and uh, share in the fun. We share news articles and news about the show. All kinds of stuff on there. So, Strange Familiars Gathering on Facebook. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. For more, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com.